Welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm here with Brian Higgins. Hey, Brian. Hey, everyone. Why don't you tell people what we're going to be talking about today? Today, we are talking... I don't remember if we have a specific title for this. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, there will be a specific title. Mm. But the topic is sexuality and nudity in media. Yeah, I have sex, violence, and nudity in media. I thought about maybe titling it like Game of Thrones and Christians because that's way more clickbaity <laughs> and that'll get more clicks. Yeah. But but I also like the more formal titles. But yeah. Well, if you're listening to this, you didn't need the clickbaity title to get here. So good on you. There you go. You're the kind of person we want listening to this. We love you. Ed. Just like pick a specific name. I just said Ed. We love you. So like, Ed. We love you, Ed. There you go. If there's a guy named Ed listening to this, let us know because yeah. that'd be really awesome if we just randomly picked out your name. Today, we're going to be talking about sex, violence, and nudity in the entertainment industry. The question is, why? Brian, why are we talking about this? Well, there's a few reasons. Um, One, I think you kind of alluded to, um, and this, I think, not to kind of blend things together, but uh, to kind of share what has been happening with this and what our heart is for this kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure many people listening, I know I noticed a ton of really unbalanced articles <laughs> about se- particularly sex and nudity in media mm. with Game of Thrones coming out. And it was a lot of like, like I, there was an article that I remember seeing that was like why I repented of Game of Thrones and you should too. Right. <laughs> it was just like so um, like I, I didn't even read it. I just saw the title. So maybe it's super balanced and they just put a clickbaity title on it. But there's been more reason recently with and it's not just Game of Thrones. Like there's a ton of different examples that you could go to. Oh, yeah. It's everywhere. Where, yeah. Where media is just getting progressively more. More, yeah, more sexual. All around. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So because of that, it's, you know, more, more of more pop TV is moving away from the broadcast uh, regulations that come with being on ABC or Fox or right. whatever. Yeah. And now because everything is coming directly out, like all the big shows at this point are on Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO and Showtime. <sighs> Like right. that's where everything is going first. Right. The big shows that people care about the most. And yeah, I mean, I for years have been seeing stuff about Game of Thrones and uh, I know that right now because of the finale, it's really big. And a lot of people that I know personally have been talking about it. And I think this is really the first time that we're tapping into kind of the reason why we named Good Lion, Good Lion. Um the reason we named it Good Lion was it's reference to Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a, it's a really funny story, but there's a beaver talking to Lucy and she's like, oh, is Aslan a safe lion? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's not safe, but he's good. And, you know, here at Good Lion, that's what we want to try to accomplish is we want to hit topics that aren't necessarily safe topics like it's not the normal kind of topics you're going to hear on christian broadcasting but the perspective we're trying to bring is one that's not safe but one that's good because ultimately it reflects the lord so i mean yeah these these are topics that just thinking about my preaching days like these are topics i'd be nervous to preach on because yeah, were, these are the middle kind school of things. pastor <laughs> well yeah part of it is i was a middle school pastor but just in general like these are topics where 
when you're preaching, you can feel the audience perk up and you can feel everyone really analyzing how you're attacking a subject and right. how or not attacking. Yeah. How far you're pushing with it, how far you're laying back. Mm. Um, every word feels like it becomes more important when you jump into something like this. So yeah, I know from my standpoint, as someone who teaches the Bible, this is a way more fun way to go about attacking yeah, this. Absolutely. Because it's not in the stuffy confines that a Sunday morning can be. It's not in this realm where I only expect certain topics and I don't expect these other things. Right. Um, and it's discussional. It's discussional. Yeah, it gives us right. room to kind of like wade deeper into the gray and yeah. not necessarily just say, well, I've only got three minutes to talk about this because it has to fit within my sermon as a whole. Right. So yeah. I'll just try to do three good minutes and then move back into, you know, Jesus doing a miracle <laughs> or something like whatever your text is on. And, and I think it's time for us just at the front of the show to just release our official stance. So the official stance of the good Lion podcast network on, you know, this kind of stuff, sex, violence, and nudity and media is if you're a Christian, you really should only be watching veggie tales. Broccoli, celery, gotta be veggies. That's really the stance we want to take, right? I really thought we were going to make the joke the other way and be like, we're just good with anything. Like, Watch whatever you want. If it's good TV, it's good TV. What can I say? Well, so we're neither of those two stances. Right. So our heart in this is we want to be two non-judgmental voices. We don't want to make anybody feel bad. We don't want to talk down to anybody or judge anybody. I think too often in Christian conversation, we tend to oversimplify things. We're either very blunt and matter of fact about things that maybe even the Bible doesn't necessarily say clearly. So for instance, you know, we could just say, oh, any Christian that watches a sex scene and nudity is bad and they probably aren't listening to the Holy Spirit and they just need to repent. Or we could say, you know, any Christian that thinks it's a sin to watch sex scenes is just a legalistic stuck up jerk and they need to lighten up and have fun. And I don't think that either one of those statements are true or helpful. I think there's a lot of nuance in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Completely agreed. And that's, you know, part of the reason why we do this podcast is we like diving into nuance and we like doing deep dives into topics. So I think the first question we need to address before we go any further is really, you know, let's focus on nudity for a second, because that's what Game of Thrones and a lot of HBO shows are known for. They've become, um, there's a lot of notoriety around those shows based on how much nudity is in them. So the first question I think would be, you know, is nudity sinful? What do you think, Brian? Well, I think that is a very simple way to try to look at the question. It is, but that's um, that's where a lot of people go as they want a simple answer. Yeah, and, and that's where, as we were talking about getting ready for this, we kind of started pulling away from just the idea of media and started trying to dive into, and the, most of what this podcast, I think, is going to be, is us trying to diving into the the heart behind the action. Like, I think if anything is clear in the Sermon on the Mount, it's that Jesus is less interested in the actions that you live throughout your life. He's less interested in the stuff you do as he is in the reasons you do that stuff. Right. Like, he wants us to be a people that reach out to the poor because he wants us to have a generous heart. He yeah. wants us to be people 
who don't lie because he wants us to be people who live and are rooted in truth and reality. So right. trying to dive into just a simple, is this action wrong? Right. Is so appealing because we like rules and without <laughs> realizing it, we're appealing to uh, we're appealing to religion. Right. We're appealing to essentially a yeah a form of paganism. If you right. want to take it to that extreme of if I just do the right stuff, then the distant deity will be happy with me. So right. just tell me the right stuff to do. Right. And then uh, then I'll be okay. And, yeah. and so to dive a little bit into you know is nudity right and wrong? It all depends on context. Yeah, context. Um, you know, one of the examples that we were talking about was pulling away from watching a TV. Um, doctors are forced to see nudity all the time. And yeah, they we literally don't... hold a gun to their head and said, you will look at this naked person. <laughs> it's a doctor well, I mean, thing. I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize until I talked to my doctor friend it happens all the time. Yeah. That's a, a real thing that happens. Oklahoma I don't, is a strange place. I don't know um, why I'm mocking you. I'm sorry. Go, go I don't ahead. know either, but go it's ahead. fine. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm back in the Northeast. There you go. Um, so it's good. Yeah. But like someone who's a doctor where someone comes into their to the ER or whatever, someone comes into their practice and, you know, to to treat them, they are they need to see the full person like they need to see what's actually going on in different places. Right. And no one in a church setting would say, whoa, hold on. You saw what today? Like no one would do that. We wouldn't look at that doctor and say the fact that you saw somebody else naked is right. therefore sin. Right. So that kind of gives us a beginning point. It shows us that nudity necessarily is not sinful unto itself. Right. It's not a hundred percent just like when the, like it's not like murder. <laughs> you know, like murder whenever it happens, no one is gonna sit there and be like, Well, were you a doctor? Like no one is gonna do that. Like murder is just wrong. We have that a hundred percent. Lying is just wrong. Like right. we have a lot of those things a little bit more clearly. Like this is so found in the 10 commandments. So it's not as easy to just jump straight forward and say, Oh, this is a hundred percent wrong. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if we were going to construct a theology of sexual imagery or nudity, and you know, it starts obviously, as Tim Mackey always says, between pages one and three of the Bible, you've got Genesis chapter two, verse 25 says, and then the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God makes Adam and Eve, they're innocent, there's no shame, but then we all know what happens. There's the fall, they eat the fruit, they betray God and they doom the world and they're ashamed of their nakedness at that point they realize they're naked it's like that veil of knowledge is lifted and it says that god clothes them with animal skin and i think some of the conclusions you can draw from this story is you know the human body is not evil it's good god created people naked the intention was actually for um, people to be naked, which is actually very strange for me to think of now because it seems so outlandish. But in our world, it's fallen and our minds are distorted. And so God actually acknowledges the need for covering in this fallen world. And I think, you know, the story of Genesis shows us that nudity itself is not a sin, 
but it's what are the intentions behind it? What are we doing with it? Like if, if nudity itself were a sin, like if it was just a sin to be naked, that would create a huge problem for people who were bathing or showering. You'd, mm-hmm. be, yeah. you'd be in sin every time you stepped in the shower. Um, but, you know, I mean, actually, that, that makes me think of the story of David and Bathsheba. Hmm. Yeah. Because she's bathing on the roof. David's spying on her. He lusts after her and then he takes her for his own. Who was sinning in that story? David or Bathsheba? Definitely David. Right. It's not Bathsheba was just, you know, sinning that she was naked. She was just a poor woman bathing in what she thought was privacy. It's it's not that she was naked. It's what David decided to do with the nudity. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, you know, Bathsheba was bathing specifically where she knew David would see her and was trying to attract him. You know, would she also be in sin? Mm, yeah. Right. And And I think... You know, David was in sin because he responded. And so I think the problem is not nudity itself. It's when we use nudity as a tool to get sexual attention on ourselves, which is, you know, the entire porn industry, or when we abuse someone else's nudity for our own sexual gratification. Um, and I so guess now let me let me yeah. throw this. Uh, yeah. let me, let's keep pushing into that. And let me just throw this question by you. Um, I think I know what you're going to say, but I just want to be sure. Um, do you think if David goes out onto the roof, because like part of it, part of understanding the David and Bathsheba story is understanding that your roof back then was just a very different thing than your roof right now. Yeah. Like if I am ever on my roof, like call help. Something has gone wrong. I'm about to break something. I'm almost never on my roof. And by exactly. almost, I mean, absolutely never. On my I roof. never want to be on my roof. Never. There was like one time when I was a kid when my dad was like, want to go on the roof? And I was like, yes. And then that <laughs> has never happened again. Okay. Um, but like it was natural, like thinking about a culture without indoor plumbing, the easiest way to get water is to catch it when it falls from the sky. So mm. bathing on the roof was not an uncommon thing. It was the easiest way to collect enough water oh. that you could actually bathe yourself. Oh, so in. You, just, you just put a bucket up there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. <laughs> I mean, it's that's it, nasty. it was like, what, 700 B.C.? Yeah. Six I'm, something. I'm glad we don't live then. We definitely wouldn't be oh, making this so podcast. It's so much better today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyone who's like, I want to go back to Jesus's day. It's like, you don't realize how convenient we have everything. I don't understand why he didn't come now. Like, why did he come then? It doesn't, he knew everything. Anyway, sorry. I know. Get, get yeah. the train back on I, track. Sorry. So like it, it was not uncommon for people to be bathing on the roof. Because I remember when I first read that story, I was like, this girl is weird. And yeah, like, I thought I of too. her as like the person... Like a seductress almost. Exactly. Like, like the one who wears the, the really like scantily clad outfit to try to get people to look at her. But that's not what was happening. It was a very common thing. Yeah. It was also common for people to just go hang out on their roof. Right. Like it, it was normally a flatter surface, obviously. Otherwise, it'd be very hard to bathe on it. Um so it it became like an extra outdoor room. So both of them are using their roof for what it normally would get used for. Right. So then, do you think if David goes outside, starts looking around the city, because he's the king and he has the right to kind of just like go on his roof and look right. around. Like we still Survey go to tall realm. places and like see beautiful areas around us. It's a natural thing. Yeah. If he goes up and notices Bathsheba and is like, whoa, I am, even if she doesn't know what's happening, I am infringing on a personal moment. I am going to go back inside. Yeah, that's what he should have done. Do you call that sin? Oh, no. Like just to witness it? No, I mean, yeah, I think you can't, you can maybe define it as like a mistake, but it's Mm -hmm. not a mistake of intent. Um, 
I I love uh, if any of you guys are listening to this and uh, you're ever wondering about the definition of sin, the Bible Project does a really good three part video series called Bad Words of the Bible that kind of explores what sin even means. So check that out. But yeah, I mean, they they kind of helped me define sin as something that we do that is hurtful towards God, is hurtful towards others. So we're not talking about an accidental glance where Mm -hmm. there was no intent for you to abuse somebody else. It's when you catch that glance and you go, oh, I like that. And then you decide to dwell on it, which is what David did. You know, he he saw it. And then he said, I like that. I want to keep looking. And then he said, I got to have that. Mm-hmm. And he went and got it. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I thought you would go with it, which that kind of intentional decision making is really important when it comes to our modern day conversation about yeah. sex and nudity and, and violence as well in media. Right. There are some things where you didn't screen it, you didn't know it was coming and you don't necessarily need to beat yourself up over it. Yeah. But sometimes the longer a scene goes on, the more you're choosing to stick around. Right. And the more or, you're choosing like, this is not worth me looking away yet. Right. And, you know, we'll explore this topic more as we go on. But I think if we're watching a show and there's sexually stumbling images in that show that cause us to, you know, have issues and stumble and deal with lust, if we continue to go back to that show and just ignore the pattern of how it affects us, then then we're we're basically making the same mistake as David. Um, I would want to ask you, Brian, you know, we're, right now we're just focusing on the topic of nudity. Um, I think Bathsheba, you know, we're talking about that story and how it would have been wrong for her to be naked explicitly for the purpose of trying to cause a sexual reaction. We mm-hmm. know that's not what she did, but if she was trying to lure David, that would be wrong. But then I think it's important, especially, you know, for our single listeners um, to kind of build a, a, a framework in our minds of, you know, if, if nudity, if, if we're saying nudity is wrong, if we're trying to get, if we're trying to sexually appeal to somebody, then why is it okay in marriage? I think that would be the question, you know, why, why is it actually encouraged? You go, you know, you go your whole life and people say, oh, you know, don't try to tempt one another. Don't try to stumble one another. And then you get married and then it's like, oh no, you, you should be trying to get a reaction from your husband or wife. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it goes back to the way that God gives himself away in relationships. So think about God with Adam and Eve. He's like, Hey guys, I, I hope that's how he began. He's like, Hey guys, you're you're gonna be my people i'm gonna be your god i'm gonna lead you i'm gonna guide you you have a perfect world i'm gonna walk with you and i'm gonna dwell with you and we're gonna enjoy a beautiful relationship together just don't eat the fruit Mm. that's it and and so god gives himself completely to his people through the form of a covenant with a couple conditions or in that case really just one like Mm. Trust that my definition of right and wrong is actually correct. And the people rebel against that. Yeah. But that shows you a way that God gives himself away. Now go to the old covenant, God hanging out with Israel. Hey, everyone, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to use you to proclaim my glory. I'm going to use you to make the other nations jealous of me and make them want and desire the kind of relationship that you guys have with me. Um, Part of you being my people means that there are some constraints or conditions around the way that you're going to live your life. Mm. Um, They're really bad at it. 
there's <laughs> right. the whole Old Testament. Just like read it. It's messed up. Um, then you get to Jesus with the new covenant. And he says, I am going to give myself away to you people again. I will be your God. You will be my people. I'm going to give you my goodness. I'm going to give you righteousness that can only come from me. I'm going to make us right. Right. And you're going to give up your allegiance to all other gods and rulers and ways of thinking about the world and you're going to be faithful to my way and if you do that i will give all of myself to you Hmm. so throughout throughout the scriptures whenever god gives himself away gives all of himself to his people he does it in the safety of covenant right because imagine like you know you know what happens when um or i'll just use a personal example when when my wife and i were driving out from New Jersey to California as we were doing this move. One of the places we stayed overnight was in Phoenix. And that was the first time where we weren't like staying with a friend or we weren't put up by someone. So we were just going to our own hotel. Um, So booked a random place. It was a cool place. worked out. Um, We were like a little afraid we were going to get murdered. But (laughs) Um, so we go to the front desk and we're getting all checked in. We're doing all of our stuff. And maybe this is just not being in the Northeast, like maybe just the niceness of people in other places makes them ask questions about what's going on in your life. <laughs> and the woman behind the counter started asking like, hey, you know, where are you? Are you from here? Are you headed somewhere? And we told her like, hey, we're moving from New Jersey. We're going to California. This is our last leg, blah, blah, blah. Right. And she just kind of like kept asking questions and kept being like, yeah, so like, where are you going to be living? And like, what are you going to be doing? And do you have friends in that area? And have you been to Phoenix before? And she just was very upfront with like, hey, give me more information about your life. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, I don't know you. Right. Stop asking me. Give this me a room. This is inappropriate. This is all I want from you is for you to do your job and give me the room key. Like, I don't want to have this conversation. We're not friends. We don't know each other. Like, right. We don't have the kind of relationship where you should expect me to give these things over to you, right. to give you this information. It, that's not where we are. And so, yeah. And, and so the same is true, I think, in sexuality. There is one kind of safe relationship where yes. giving yourself away is helpful to the relationship. It shows trust. It shows vulnerability. And there's really great joy to be found within that. But to do that without the safety and structure and support that comes in a marriage, rather than being helpful and promoting the good of both people, it's damaging and can change the way that you define good in a relationship. It makes me think of that conversation that you were having. It wasn't that crazy of a thing you guys were doing. Like that that's a very normal thing to have a conversation and ask people about what's going on in their life and all those details. What made it inappropriate was exactly it was the lack of the real relationship. It was the lack of the proper context of the relationship. There was no friendship there. And mm-hmm. that's that's what made it so inappropriate and weird and awkward. And in the same way with sex, like sex isn't some strange, crazy thing. A lot of times for Christian kids growing up, it feels like it because no one ever talks about it. When they do, it's very hush-hush. But it's a very natural, good, awesome thing God made. 
So the reason that it's so inappropriate outside of marriage is because that relationship, the the reason it was established is not present. It'd be like, you know, if you tried to throw a Christmas party in the middle of like November or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, some month that's not December, people would be like, this is really weird. Why are you doing this? You know? Yeah, exactly. And, And even to add to that a little bit. Um, I think part of where the disconnect comes for church kids is I remember being a church kid and just being told sex is wrong right now and one day it'll be amazing. Which is such a weird message. It is a really weird message and it's not a helpful message. This is really bad, but one day it's going to be really good. (laughs) Exactly. Like, Like. But that's how most people, I think, in the church grow up thinking about sex. And so I was never aware and maybe you can't be aware until you're actually in it but like i was never all i was told about sex growing up was that one day it'll be the happiest thing that you do and so you just begin to build it up in your head and you just begin to think the only way i will find true meaningful lasting joy is through sex and you just tell yourself that and you build that up in your head and you train yourself to think Like you deny yourself now by thinking about gratifying yourself later. And so you're like, I'm not going to do anything sexual now so that when I do get to do sexual things, then it'll be like even better then. And you start thinking in that weird way. And I remember I remember getting married and I remember like the build up to getting married. Like suddenly all your Christian friends are like, whoa, it's going to happen. Like you just have all which of those. Which is so weird. Which, which is weird that we very, talk about it the way that we do. Yeah, but Christians none, are really cringy when it comes to sex around the yeah. marriage time. Yeah. Yeah. Nonetheless, all of that stuff happened. And I just remember getting married. And the main thing that I felt about sex was a feeling of vulnerability Hmm. rather than like this huge like i i just remember in high school thinking like sex is only fun and pleasurable and one day i'll get to do that and then you'd be like looking at a girl in school and in your head you'd be like whoa like i could just totally have sex with that person and like you just your mind goes to all those places yeah and then i got married and then that element of our relationship became available And then I just remember thinking like, oh my goodness, this would be terrifying to do with a bunch of people. Like I would (laughs) never want to give myself away to multiple people over and over and over again. Like, I'm so glad the structure of our friendship and relationship and the commitment level, I'm glad all of that surrounds the way that we engage in sex because without it, you take something that could be really gratifying and really life affirming and really trust building. And when you turn it into a performance or when you turn it into an audition, it becomes something it was never intended to be. And that's really what I would say, you know, and I would say this confidently that Satan, you know, our true enemy has been trying for ages and ages to, to twist it and take it away from something that's precious, something that's about vulnerability, something that's about trust, something that's about, you know, security and affirmation and support between a husband and wife 
to make it this thing where people see it as this is the reason for existence and Mm -hmm. it's boring in marriage. And so you need to go out and while you're young and just get as much of it as you can from as as many people as you can in whatever way makes you feel good. And that's why I think in media, we see so much of it. And and so I'd, I'd want to jump back on that topic of sexuality in media. And I think a point that I would make and an important conversation to have mm-hmm. is the distinction between watching violent content and watching nudity. Because I think that's where a lot of people might go is maybe, you know, they would say, well, you know, why is it wrong to watch nudity? But then a lot of you Christians are totally fine with violence and, and war movies and, you know, just epic Lord of the Rings battles. You know, why is that okay? But then why is, you know, why is nudity wrong? And um, well, where would you go with that question, Brian? What would you say? So I had this thought as we were preparing this particular question. Um, Like we were just saying, healthy, life-affirming, relationship-building sex happens privately. It happens within the confines of a marriage, happens away from where people can spy in and look on it and all that. Like when you go to a restaurant and the couple that's at like the fire pit is just like going to town on each other. You're like, whoa, this is weird. Like, yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, you pull back from that. You naturally hate that. Like no one looks at real life public sex and says like, this is a good thing. Like everyone feels like, nope, that belongs privately. Like if you're feeling bold, you'll literally shout out at them, get a room. Yeah. Like, go be away from all of us. Like, it's not that what you're doing is necessarily wrong. It's that where you're doing it is wrong. Right. And I think that you can actually make a parallel with that with violence because Mm -hmm. public real violence is very uncomfortable. Like if you're walking down the street and you see an old woman getting mugged or a child being beaten by their parent or some abuser, that's a very uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you could say... You know, when it comes to watching TV shows with violence, you know, simulated violence is, you know, it's just a simulation. You're not actually watching someone, you know, kill or take the life of another human. Um, But there's actually dark web video channels. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's dark web video channels out there where you can actually watch what's called snuff films, which is videos of people actually killing other people. And yeah, and those videos are actually considered illegal because watching them in watching them, we're actually watching someone's life being taken for real. And I think Mm. everyone knows deep down, like that's something that we should not be watching. That's the kind of thing that, Mm -hmm. you know, soldiers that have come back from the war, you know, they've got PTSD from watching that kind of stuff. It's not something that as humans, we were meant to see. And, And I think I would ask the question, why is that wrong? Like, why is it wrong for humans to entertain ourselves with real violence, like real actual people being abused and hurt or even killed? I think you're training yourself to enjoy something that God does not enjoy. You know, I I think a lot about in John chapter 10, where Jesus, I forget exactly who he's speaking to, but he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. Yeah. So so you see this distinction between what does Satan come come to do? He comes to steal from us, he comes to kill us, and he comes to destroy us. And the celebration of destruction 
comes from Satan. Yeah. Um, the celebration of life, that is what God does. So I hmm. think about um I think about when John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Hey, are you the Messiah or are we waiting for another guy? Like they're 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 thinking, they're interested, they're not really sure. And they're like, what's the deal? And Jesus, to show them that he is God, he says, look at what you see around you. Um, the lame walk, uh, the mute can speak, the blind can see, the deaf can hear. And he's giving all of these examples. These dead things are coming to life again. Yeah. That is how you know that I actually am the Messiah. Right. So God is always in the business of taking dead things and bringing them to life. It's Satan mm. that's in the business of taking living things mm. and trying to destroy them. To kill, so when steal, we, and destroy. Mm. Exactly. So when we jump on board by saying like, like you, we may not feel like video creators. We create videos by our demand for them. Yeah. Mm. So when we... When we as a nation watch hours and hours and hours of porn, mm. we tell the porn industry, this is good. Keep doing this. Yeah, we want, we more, want more of it. We want exactly. more of this. Yeah, absolutely. When we watch those kinds of videos of literal, of actual physical death, we're saying, this is good. Make more of this. Like, feed my lust for this. I think this. The, the question I would go to then is, you know, so, so with fake violence, you know, why is that okay? And, and I'm not actually right now saying how I actually think about it. Um, I'm just posing the question because I remember mm. making movies in my backyard with my friends. And I remember this one scene in a war movie we were doing where, you know, my friend got shot with a fake gun and he had a packet of corn syrup and red dye food coloring underneath his shirt. And so he, he hit, hit the bag underneath his shirt and he had a little hole cut in it and it just exploded and went everywhere. And, you know, the question is, you know, is, is that wrong? Is it wrong to make that kind of fake violence or for, you know, little boys or, you know, to run around the backyard and play cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers or whatever and shoot one another with fake guns, you know, is that wrong? And I mean, I would say, I would say no. I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Well, this is where I want to go back to the analogy that I started of healthy sex happens in private. What about mm. healthy violence? Mm. Is there such a thing? And I think there is. Um, I think that there are times when evil needs to be defeated. Yeah. There are times when wrong needs to be shown as wrong and proven as wrong. You know, regardless of a person's feelings on war, it's very hard for me to say that America's involvement in World War II was wrong. Yeah. Because there was an evil that needed to be stopped there. And maybe that's just like super like that's a one specific example. But I, well, I, I have pretty anti-war views myself, but that is, for me, uh, World War II, the biggest struggle of um, my views because I look at it the same way where I'm like, there was a clear villain there. And if mm -hmm. we just sat by and didn't do anything, I mean, then what are we doing? So, yeah, I, I'm with you there. That so that's where I look at, like, let's take, like, a superhero mo movie. I think about the the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Yeah. I loved those movies. Right. And there were clear moments when Christian Bale is going to town on Heath Ledger and you know he's you know there he's acting violently mm. but it's not for the sake of destruction it's for the sake of protection. Right. You know you brought up the idea of the epic Lord of the Rings battle scenes. 
there's a clear villain. There's a clear enemy. And the violence is not just, I wanted to destroy something for its own sake. It's, I wanted to promote good. I wanted to promote justice. I wanted to see right win out. And I celebrated the defeat of evil. Right. And even think about like, healthy violence happens publicly not that that's not to say that all violence that happens publicly is healthy no but when there no. when, there's a lot of violence that happens publicly it's terrible but yeah. when violence happens in private it's even more disgusting you know think about the way that um i'm a big sports fan i think about the way the nfl has been hit with all of these accusations of players with domestic violence yeah like and guys you see, beating their wives and kids right Exactly. And you see mm. these huge, huge guys like these guys that are peak athletes on the top level and you see them taking out their aggression on weak, innocent, comparatively small people and everything in you goes, that is wrong. Yeah, that is so messed up. Like, right. So it's not just that like when violence happens privately, we look at it and go, oh, that's messed up. And when we're watching violence happen in media, it's not that um, we're celebrating the violence itself. It's that we're often either celebrating what it's doing or it's distancing us from a, a simulated character. Because I can think about right. moments where um, I'm trying to think of an example of this. Um, HBO has a show, Big Little Lies. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. And there's a character um, without getting too into it. There's a character in the first season who is very abusive towards his wife. Hmm. And like you're saying, first of all, the abuse is simulated. Like the, right. the character who is being hurt is not actually being hurt. I remember actually a story of uh, Jonah Hill talking about the movie mid 90s. Mm -hmm. And in that movie, there's a brother who abuses his other brother. Hmm. And the younger brother actor was like, no, we need to do this for real. Like you actually need to hit me. Hmm. And Jonah Hill was saying the hardest part about making those scenes was actually convincing the older brother actor like, hey, like you, you're only going to slap him once. He's going to be OK. Right. Like actually do it like he didn't want to do it for real. He wanted to only simulate it. Right. Um, but those moments of simulated or even for lack of a better term, mildly consensual violence, um, sometimes those happen to distance us from a character right and to say like oh now i'm seeing why you're the bad guy that needs to be defeated because of this thing you pretended to do yeah and and i think where i would go with it is you know the question of you know what makes violence right or wrong i think even the word violence itself we tend to define as, you know, any sort of fighting or any sort of, you know, anything that's aggressive. And I think that really the real meaning of violence is at least the way that I've heard it defined sort of in the theological circles I've studied. Um, violence is more destruction and harm of somebody else. And so I think, you know, if you and I decided we wanted to take martial arts and spar together, you know, you might call that violent, but it's not destructive. Like we're actually working out at that point and we're not actually trying to harm or hurt one another. But if you and I, you know, go take martial arts and then we start beating up children or old ladies, that's where mm. it's like, okay, this is wrong. It's destructive. And so when it comes to media, um, you know, I would say that, you know, we can't necessarily just say, oh, you know, all violence on 
television is wrong for us to watch because I think if we can draw a clear distinction between what is fake and what is actually true, it doesn't necessarily cause damage to our soul. And, you know, for me personally, it doesn't tempt me in any way to go out and start killing people. I think there's an argument that's been made a lot of times about violent video games. And I've been playing video games since I was a little kid. And I've, I've killed a lot of things, like starting all the way back to, you know, Mario. You know, I'd run and jump on a Goomba or I'd kill a turtle and then I'd throw its shell at other enemies and and kill them. You know, I've I played first person shooting games like Halo and Fortnite and Star Wars games where I've decapitated stormtroopers with lightsabers. And the thing about this is I have no temptation to hurt or harm anyone ever. Like on the contrary, I'm I'm actually a proponent of a teaching called Christian nonviolence, which means that, you know, my personal belief is as a Christian, I shouldn't harm others and under any circumstance I shouldn't kill or take a life of another person. And you know, we can talk more about that kind of stuff in another podcast episode. But I think that um, I just don't want to make any blanket statements with violence. Um, I, I don't want to necessarily say to watch simulated violence is a sin. Um, but I do think the important question to go from there is, is it wrong to enjoy violence? What do you think? Like to watch violence so, and take take pleasure in it. I think it again comes back to that definition of violence you just gave. Mm-hmm. Um, honest moment for me. I enjoy watching UFC fights. Great. Um, <laughs> I like when, you know, the it's like three hours of different fights. I enjoy the competition. I don't really know a lot about it. So if anyone's like, oh, now I can talk to him about UFC. It's like, you're going to be disappointed. I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. But I enjoy hanging out with friends. I enjoy watching a night of UFC fights. I enjoy the competitiveness of it. I enjoy uh, beginning to understand some of the strategy that's in it and the sportsmanship of it. And uh, there's only really one moment in UFC that makes me recoil from it. And Mm. that's Mm. there are these moments when one person will clearly knock out another. Mm. But then they get told, like, you have to keep fighting until the ref stops the fight. Mm. So sometimes a guy will, like, land a really strong kick or whatever and knock the other guy down. And you know immediately it's over. But then that guy will jump on top of the fallen fighter and just kind of keep swinging and swinging Uh, until the ref comes in and Mm. stops it. Those moments I hate. Because it's destructive. Exactly. That's when it stops Cause like I love seeing two guys like even John with each other and like talking back and forth and really getting competitive and into it. Yeah. And then the moment the fight's over, they're hugging and they're like, "Hey, good fight, man!" Right. Like, it's, you, it's sportsman. You did really well. Right. Yeah. There's a mutual celebration of mm. you did what you wanted to do in this competitive field. Right. And as soon as it was over, we were both done. Right. Like that to me is really fun and interesting. And I don't think that is celebrating. Like I'm not looking at it saying like, wow, I'm celebrating the fact that his punch did damage. Like I'm <laughs> celebrating his competitive spirit. I'm yeah. celebrating yes. um, his willingness to persevere. Like to me, I learn a lot of things from sports analogies. Mm. So when I watch people engage in competitive activities and I see the the bravery i see the the courage i see the willing the willingness to sacrifice yourself for other people so that they can be the ones that you know score the touchdown make the three pointer whatever they they do what the team needs 
um, all of that makes me want to be a more selfless person. Mm. So when it's simply violence that is, or when it's simply, I won't even call it violence. I'll call it physical activity or Mm. violent, I guess, violent activity. So I'm probably going back to that word. (laughs) But like, I don't look at that and say, oh man, this is the destruction of another person. I like that part of this. Like, I'm not enjoying those parts. I'm enjoying the skill it took to accomplish what they needed to accomplish. Yes. And also the sportsmanship as soon as it's over. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, yeah, if we were to watch a fight and it's agreed upon and it's consensual and it's these two sportsmen going at it, I think that's great. I think if we were to watch a YouTube video of one of those fighters showing up at the other guy's house in the middle of the night and just beating the ever loving crap out of him while he's sleeping. Mm -hmm. If we were to enjoy that, I think there is probably something wrong with us to enjoy destruction. The reason I'm making this point is because I think it actually applies to the nudity thing, but I didn't want to just jump straight to the nudity. I actually wanted Mm -hmm. to use violence as a way to kind of give us a framework because it's not necessarily the, the fighting that is wrong, but it's when it turns to destruction and an enjoyment of that destruction that things become wrong. If we enjoy watching people being hurt and abused, humans made in the image of God like that that is wrong. We're called to love one another and not abuse one another. You and I could fight um, in a sportsman way and still love one another. Um, But if I enjoy violence to the point where I get kind of a sick, twisted satisfaction from watching it, I think that's where for me, I'm drifting into the realm of sin. And, you know, the reality is there's a lot of violence on TV. Um, You know, it's a lot more, you know, I think there's statistics out there that say that, you know, children see so many more deaths and and killing on television than, you know, previous generations growing up. But I think that for us to watch these things, it's not necessarily wrong to watch these things, just like it's not necessarily wrong to read Bible stories or books where there's wars or violence or people dying. I don't think it's wrong. But if we're sitting there watching it and then all of a sudden it fills us with this kind of twisted satisfaction of like, I like seeing this. I love seeing the person get decapitated. I love the bloods. Oh, torture them more. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because this is actually a real thing. Like there are, this isn't my experience. I don't, I don't get that kind of pleasure from watching those things. But there might be people listening to this where you realize when you watch this kind of content, it fills you with lust a different kind of lust. It's not a sexual lust. It's a blood lust. It's where you get pumped and you get excited about violence. And, and, and maybe all of a sudden you're filled with a desire to go and hurt somebody else. Um, I think if that's your experience, then it, it probably is not the best thing for you and for your soul to watch content that fills you with a desire to go and hurt somebody else. Just in the same way, you know, my struggle would be watching something sexual and being filled with a, a impure sexual desire. Um, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to illustrate that there are other mm-hmm. types of lusts out there than just sexual lust. There's all types yeah. of lusts. I think lust at at its core is looking to gain for yourself at the expense of another hmm. in any way. Yeah. So you can 
you can have money lust and you can say, I am going to gain financially at the expense of other people. And I don't care who I have to step on and I don't care who have to get hurt, who has to get hurt as long as I win in the end. Yes. Um, and that's really the heart of sexual lust. Forget what this other person needs. I want them to gratify me. And that's why you talked about the idea of there's the argument watching violence in media doesn't necessarily make me want to go be violent. Right. Well, you can make the argument the same way. Watching sexuality in media doesn't necessarily make me want to go and watch porn. People can make that argument. Yeah, I would personally um, make that argument. You know, I've I've struggled mm-hmm. with that temptation since I was a young man. And so um, for me to watch sexual content, it's not a good thing for my marriage. It's not a good thing for me and my relationship with the Lord. So I try to avoid it personally. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that completely that, agree. That is a great point, though. What would you say to somebody who would say that? Like maybe there are people out there who are more asexual. You know, there there's men and women who and I've actually spoken to young people who struggle with this, where they don't really have a lot of sexual temptation or feelings. Um, they'd be fine without being in a relationship. They'd be fine without getting married. Yeah. They're just okay on their own. And there's people who claim, you know, they can watch, you know, full on sex scenes and it doesn't affect them. I mean, how would I'm throwing the hard questions to you, Brian? Yeah. Well, I would. That's fine. Um, I would say two things before I even get to that. I, I just want to complete the point of it's not even about what happens next. It's about what's happening in the moment. Hmm. Um, so I can watch violent scenes and they may not tempt me towards going out and being violent. But if I am finding satisfaction in just destruction for its own sake, not the destruction of evil, not the destruction of an enemy, but rather just destruction for its own sake, that unto itself is damaging for my soul. Hmm. If I'm watching a sexual scene and it's not inspiring me to go watch porn or anything, but just in that moment, there's a sexual desire that is satisfied. That unto itself is wrong. That Mm. unto itself is damaging to the soul. For the person then that says, well, I don't have those desires. I don't have that issue. Can we define that a little bit more? Like when you're saying a sexual desire, would you maybe say it? Like I I remember what it was like being a teenager and there was a desire to see nudity. Like it was just Mm -hmm. like, you know, because it seems so otherworldly and it seemed like, you know, this is something that's. I'm, I'm not going to get to see on a daily basis. There was definitely a desire for that. Like, oh, I want to see that. And then it was like when I would watch a movie that I wasn't supposed to be watching and it would have that really quick scene, there would almost be that satisfaction where it's like, yeah, I saw it. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it, okay. It's not necessarily that you need to go out and then go have sex or go do something to, you know, really go and, and embrace that desire. Hmm. But even just that little thought um, of, you know what, I'm going to watch this movie and, you know, I know that there might be a little something in it. I'm not going to do anything else afterwards, but I'm going to enjoy that little something. Right. Like you're still watching it with the intention of this will to a small degree gratify me sexually. Mm. And it doesn't matter what it does. 
To anybody else, it matters that I get that. That unto itself is lust. That unto itself is wrong. That unto itself is teaching you damaging things about sexuality. That's a really important point, that we can get sexual gratification from things that we shouldn't, even if there's no sexual act that takes place. Mm -hmm. Like, we can just look at someone. And, And Jesus says, you know, in Matthew, he says to look at somebody with lust is to commit adultery in our hearts. Even if there's no actual act that happened, just taking that look intentionally saying, I'm going to dress this person down with my eyes and my imagination, or you know, I'm gonna watch this movie intentionally knowing that this actress is gonna get naked. And even if there's no act that happens afterwards, we can still say that's that's not the best thing for the person's soul. And that's something that we, you know, if that's your intention watching those things, thinking I'm going to get some gratification from it, I, I think we can call that sin. Mm-hmm. So now going back to the person who says, well, I don't have those sexual desires. A lot of what we're saying is if you're doing it for that desire, you're teaching yourself an unhealthy way to relate to other people. Mm. Even without those sexual desires, you could still be teaching yourself that nudity. Like you said in the beginning, something that God said after the fall, this is not good for you to have exposed everywhere. There needs to be a covering for this. And there needs to be strong relational undergirding before this becomes good and healthy. Hmm. Just because you don't have that desire doesn't mean it's magically healthy. Okay, but and doesn't, I yeah. want to push back on that, though, because I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> like, I agree with you, but I also, mm-hmm. I'm with you, but I know kind of what the skeptic listening to this, you know, might be thinking. And that's what you're saying is watching sex watching nudity on television can create, you know, distorted perceptions of that kind of thing, unhealthy perceptions. Well, can't we just say the same thing about violence? Like, can't we just say, oh, you know, for a Christian, we know that the world was created by God to be a nonviolent world and for no death and destruction. So isn't watching war movies and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, you know, where people are getting hacked up by lightsabers, isn't isn't that on the same level? You know, what where can we make that distinction? It it can be, but I don't think it inherently is. Why? Um, Why? Because there are a lot of other factors, like a lot of factors go into violence. You know, was a person provoked? Was it for the protection of someone weaker? Was it... um, for the sake of seeing good triumph over evil. Um, there's a lot of things that go into what what makes a violent act happen and what makes a violent act right or wrong. Okay, so I, I know where you're going with that. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a real jerk right now and just really let's push push you on this. So let's say we're watching a movie and there's a very graphic sex scene in it, but it's between a loving, consensual, committed husband and wife character. And let's just say they're Christians and throw that in there too. (laughs) Why is that wrong? Because I'm not in that marriage Mm. because that's not me. Um, They're not, neither of them are my wife. You know, neither of them will be your husband. They like, I hope not. Yeah, exactly. I, I hope not too. But like, that's the thing. Whenever we're talking about sexuality, no one that I don't I don't believe there's a way to use sexuality to vanquish wrong or like there's not other inherent good or otherwise forces other than sex happens so that someone's sexual desire can be gratified. Yeah. And I think I think where I would go with it 
is it's not wrong for me to witness violence and like, you know, in, in any sense, you know, if there's a, a war going on in my country and let's say it's an unjust war, it's an evil war, but then I'm there and I'm present and I'm watching it happen. I'm watching the bombs fall, like whether or not, you know, it's a good war or a bad war. It's not wrong for me to, to witness it and be there and, and be and to experience it, you know, because it's happening to me in that moment. Well, think about, can we add another illustration to that? Think about all of the police camera footage that's coming out over yeah. the last few years of right. officers hurting those who don't deserve to be hurt. Right. Yeah. Right. We're glad that that footage comes out. Yes. Because then we are aware so that we can do something to right the wrong. Right. Absolutely. And, and so I'm just trying to say to, to witness these things. It's not like anyone would look at me and say, oh, you're in the wrong for standing there and witness it. But if I walk into a room and I'm there hiding in the closet while a couple is making love, that is wrong. And I think most people would agree, you know, that mm -hmm. is wrong because there's something sacred about it. And and I've got this I've got this analogy that I came up with in the middle of a Facebook conversation a few years back, and it was about this very topic. And um, I'm going to throw it at you because I, I think it is helpful. And maybe you can let me know if it's helpful or not. But so let's let's say, are you a Star Wars fan, Brian? Uh, yes, but not at the level that most people who call themselves <laughs> Star Wars fans are. Okay. Well, I mean, but you enjoy a good Star Wars movie, right? Absolutely. Okay. So let's say the actors who are in Star Wars said, we want to film a scene for our movie in your backyard. And it's going to be a fight scene. It's going to be amazing. Lots of deaths and dismemberments and action. And we'll pay you a bunch of money. I mean, what, like, would you be excited about that to be able to sit there and watch it? I would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be thrilled. I'd be like, oh my gosh, Star Wars. They're going to film a fight scene in my backyard. Greatest documentary of all time. Yeah. <laughs> He's so good. And we would want to watch. We'd say that sounds great. You know, it sounds fantastic. And so we, you know, we'd sit there and watch the fight scene and it'd be totally fine. I mean, I can't think of any modern Christian that would be bummed out by watching an awesome fight scene with beautiful choreography and this epic battle filmed in their backyard. And we might think, you know, it's kind of weird that it's in our backyard, but we'd be stoked. But let me ask you this. What if the people from Game of Thrones call you and say, hey, we want to film a sex scene in your living room and we want you and your wife to watch how do you think most christians even christians that watch shows like game of thrones how would how do you think they would feel about that i think that would be a lot more uncomfortable for people yeah i don't think they'd be stoked i mean i think they'd probably be disturbed by the thought yeah. of having naked actors simulating sex right there in their living room i think most men would probably be afraid to sit with their wife and watch that happening right in front of them i think It'd be extremely uncomfortable and it wouldn't be actual real sex happening. It would just be actors trying to make sexual acts look real. But the reason it would be so uncomfortable is because there's something that is sexually real happening in the room because sex is more than just the act. When we watch fake battles and deaths on screen, we're not actually witnessing real violence or real death. But when we're watching sex scenes on TV, especially sex scenes depicting nudity, we're experiencing real sexual expression and real sexual nudity, which are things that we know are meant for the private covenant bedroom of a husband and wife. And I think it's crazy because we actually do watch these sex scenes in our living room. The difference is it's just the actors are behind a screen. 
And for some reason that normalizes it. And there's this disconnect. Is that, I mean, do you think that's a helpful analogy for why we should take yeah. these things seriously? I think you can even take it one step further. What if the scene was being filmed in your neighbor's living room hmm. and you went to the window and you watched it happen through the window. Yeah. Everyone would look at that and say, whoa, who's that creepy guy there who is trying to spy in on something that's happening? Or even take out the simulation from it. If someone were to simply spy in on a couple having sex, we would immediately say, whoa, what's going on with that guy? Like, that is wrong. That needs to be stopped. Well, to some degree, our TVs are really just windows to other places. Right. And yeah. Sometimes, like you're saying, we are those people just kind of stopping by and, and, you know, witnessing it from a different perspective, but still witnessing something that wasn't really made for people to witness. Yeah, I think most of us wouldn't be able to sit next to our spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend and view up close these naked performers doing what they do without a sense that there's something deeply wrong about the situation, that something, you know, private and sacred that's supposed to be special between a husband and wife is now being displayed openly in a perverted way for the pleasure of others. I think the window analogy you're making is is great. Like we we wouldn't do that. It would be strange to do that, but the television and 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 iPhones and all of our screens have created these windows where now we're all just a bunch of voyeurs and we're just able to watch these things and it's normalized and we think, "Oh, it's okay." And I think a lot of the justification too is like, "Well, I'm not taking advantage of anyone. I'm not hurting anyone because these actors and actresses, they are getting paid to do this." They decided to do this. So who am I to deprive them of their jobs? And I'm just going to sit here and watch it. But that's really the same excuse that I've heard people make for pornography of why it's not wrong, where it's just like, oh, this, you know, they wanted to get behind the camera. So I'm just taking advantage of the situation. But I think really all of that reveals, even for us Christians, what our culture has done in, in breaking our view of sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to think because a person chose to do something in the moment, they are now proud of that. And I think each of our own lives show us that there are conscious, deliberate choices we have made that we are now deeply ashamed of. Right. And particularly with the example of pornography, you may be watching someone's most shameful moment the thing that they are most embarrassed about, the thing that's keeping them from getting jobs or moving forward in life or the thing that they are known for that they wish never happened, you're using that thing for your own gratification. Yeah, I remember... That's a dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. And I, I remember um, watching a documentary that Mars Hill um, in Seattle put out years ago that was about pornography. And basically, they brought up the point that a lot of girls, like a very huge number of girls that work in the porn industry have either been abused or they've had fathers or uncles that have sexually abused them or molested them. Some of them have actually been kidnapped um, by sex traffickers and you could be watching this porn video and just think, oh, you know, it's just some girl that wanted to get behind a camera to get famous or get attention. But really, she's being threatened and people are saying, we'll kill you if you don't do this. And this kind of stuff is very real. And I just I mean, I don't think there's ever a good reason to I don't think there's ever a good reason to take advantage of someone else's sexuality. 
um, even in marriage, marriage should never be a place to take advantage mm-hmm. of someone. It's it's a freely given expression between someone. It's saying, hey, I care more about you and your needs and your feelings and your desires than my own. And then the other person's saying the same thing. And we just can't get that from pornography and we can't get that from television. Um, we're, we're just we're just voyeurs at best. And 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 really, at worst, we're 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 just you know, we're perverted at worst. It's either we're watching something we shouldn't watch at best. And at worst, we're actually taking those images and using them for our own. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous place. Hey, thanks for listening to our conversation about this really important topic. And we've got more coming up. Stay tuned for part two next week when we finish up this talk on sex, violence, nudity, and how Christians can navigate through our current media landscape. The Good Line Podcast is a production of Hesed Creative and the Calvary Global Network, CGN. We're a nonprofit podcasting ministry run by a team of volunteers, and we seek to bring quality, Jesus-focused content to the body of Christ. For more awesome podcasts, as well as articles, educational resources, and more, check out our website, goodlion.io. And if you want to support our work, check out goodlion.io slash support. And if you like what we do, you can share about us on social media or write us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Seriously, it helps so much. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We're excited to finish this conversation next week, so stay tuned. We're not going anywhere. We've got plenty of new content coming out. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Aaron signing off.